bringing you up to speed on the latest in conservation, science, and responsible hunting in Canada. Hey everyone, it's Mark Hall, and you're listening to the Round Canada Podcast. Wild horses versus feral horses. So in central British Columbia, there are a number of valleys that have free-ranging horses living in them. They've been there for well over a century. In mid-March, just outside of Kamloops, British Columbia, in the interior, 17 horses were found shot to death. They come from a population of about 250 horses. They estimate that the horses were shot sometime about two weeks earlier, so that places it in late February, beginning of March. Uh, The carcasses were scavenged and uh, whatnot. So these are horses that are living on um, public land, just free-ranging. At one time, they likely were somebody's domestic horses. They were let go. They bred and established a quote-unquote wild population or a feral population, uh, depending on how you look at it. So the shooting of these 17 horses, um, it's being investigated by the RCMP uh, as a livestock crime. So here's kind of the weird thing. These free-ranging horses, let's just call them that right now, are not considered wildlife under the Wildlife Act. So that's why the conservation officers are not investigating they're kind of weird in the sense that they aren't somebody's livestock, but they are domestic animals. But they're a wild population of domestic animals, which is typically what is referred to as a feral animal. Wild is when that feral population deems to have been naturalized and a province or a jurisdiction gives it the, gives it the title wild horses. Uh, and then they have protection, you know, as as wildlife in, in the jurisdiction. So in this case in British Columbia, they're not classified as wildlife. Uh, they're not called wild horses. People call them wild horses. Uh, essentially, they're feral, but they've been there for a century. You know, they've found a niche to cohabitate with the wildlife that live there, mule deer and, you know, moose and those types of Uh, ungulates. So the article I read on this, the RCMP that are in, that's investigating is investigating it as, as a livestock crime. But the statement I read was, they're not sure what the charges would be if they caught the person. Uh, Like I said, it's not wildlife. It's not like they shot somebody's um, cows or horses in their, on their private land or in, in a field or whatever there. It's this kind of like gray nebulous area of these animals out there that, you know, neither belong to the crown, neither belong to like a rancher. So all the RCMP were hypothesizing at this time was, is that the charges would be animal cruelty, just killing an animal. People are calling for legislation now to protect these wild horses. The RCMP is calling for public assistance. They have no no leads in this. Uh, what happened was apparently they were shot for shot from some distance away, high powered rifles. I think it was like a couple hundred yards away. Uh, very well placed shots. Uh, animals were shot. Some of them directly in the heart. So they're you know reading between the lines. They're talking about 
like somebody that knew what they're doing, like hunters able to shoot long distances with high powered rifles, you know, hit the vital area, that sort of thing. Now, why, why this, why somebody would do this? Um, you know, I, all I can think is I've got a couple of, if I was an investigating uh, officer, I would have a couple of lines, I guess, that I would start to look down. So I have talked to people in the central interior before that know of these wild horses that have been to places where these wild horses are. And they say they're very, very hard on the vegetation. They're hard on the range. They're eating a lot of um, deer and moose food. Uh, so they feel their competition for wildlife. So now this could be a case where somebody's like these horses are causing a mule deer decline or a moose population decline or something like that. So as an act of vigilanteism, they went out and tried to cull uh, the horses and killed 17 of them. It sounded like there might have been more horses there and, you know, they, they got away. Uh, they suspect there was several individuals involved in order to get that many horses in one uh, sort of one incident. Now, the other aspect of this that I would kind of potentially uses a line of questioning or investigation. I would certainly hope this is not what happened, but there are close connections between some First Nations communities in BC and these free-ranging horses. They have a connection. They've been living and using the same land for over a century, a few generations of people, and there's, there's a connection to them. Um, and my line of questioning would be is people know this people know there's this connection with the indigenous communities was shooting the horses like an act of and i would call this like an act of racism of lashing out at first nations people uh, by going and killing like horses that they they care for um in some cases in in places i'm to understand there's people that actually go out and like tend the horses i don't know whether they feed them or they check on them or, or do whatever but you know kind of like like land shepherds or something because of this connection with the horses so i mean it, it's a possibility um as a motive for the shootings um to lash out at people uh or it could be this act of you know um land management ecosystem management culling uh, feral animals either way it's not up to somebody to make that decision to go cull um, domestic feral animals off the landscape like it's just not something that somebody should be doing horses can be rounded up and you know there's places for them to go that sort of thing now this is an issue down in the states so there are a bunch of feral horses in the u.s southwest that escaped off the Apache reservation in southwestern U.S. because I guess a forest fire and then um, burnt like the fence lines down between the, um, the um, public lands and the nation's lands. And all the wild horses off the nation lands got onto like national forest land. And now they've been there for a while. They're, you know, wreaking havoc on you know the the native plants and people are saying like now like that's impacting native wildlife and you know risking damaging riparian areas all this kind of stuff and they want the horses gone they want them like culled and taken off or or um, rounded up and got off of public land but then there's 
people that love the wild horses and they go down on photography trips and they see them and it's like they see this as an icon of the American West of, you know, horses on the landscape. In the U.S., they actually have areas in the West that are classified as wild horse range. And so if there's horses living in them, I've seen them in Wyoming, the wild Mustangs there. If they live in these designated wild horse zones, they're classified under U.S. law as a wild horse and they have protections. If there's a horse on um, federal public lands anywhere that's not in one of these wild horse designated zones, it's a feral horse and then it can be removed. So the ones in the Southwest are not in a wild horse designated zone. So people are saying they're feral horses and people that like the horses and they're going on photography trips are calling them wild horses or wild mustangs. So it's a bit of a schmozzle down there. And I don't know whether this was something that had an influence on somebody deciding to take action into their own hands, so to speak, in, uh, in the Kamloops area where these horses were shot. Um, but it's, it's, it's strange. So in Northeastern BC, there are bison, free ranging bison. They have a limited entry hunt on them. They're one of the most highly applied for hunts in BC and one of the hardest tags to draw like a once in a lifetime type, type tag, super hard hunts. Well, this is a similar situation. These are not native bison. They're not the, the true native woods bison, Athabascas, that are in the Fort Liard area of northern BC and over towards Wood, Wood Buffalo National Park in Alberta. These were bison that were escaped from ranchers, for, from a rancher. They were, they were domesticated bison. They were livestock bison. I don't know whether they're like a hybrid bison in bison farming or whether they're actually pure genetic plains bison that, that they, uh, they ranch. I don't know. But what happened is, is they got away and then they went wild and they started breeding and their population grew and grew and grew. And back in the late 80s or 90s, somewhere in there, the government went, hey, there's enough of these things. We're going to have a limited entry hunt on them. And the rancher filed a lawsuit against the government and said, you can't issue a hunting season on those bison because they're mine. And the rancher lost in court and the courts that deemed that, you know, you would let them go. You weren't in control of them. They've been out there for a couple of decades. They're now property of the crown. And so the hunt went ahead and here we are today, lots of bison, uh, bison hunting, but they're, they're not true native bison. They're bison acting in an ecosystem that historically had bison. So there's a philosophical thing there, but they're not the true genetic woods bison. So kind of a similar thing here. These horses did get away from somebody and they've been living on this landscape for, like I said, for, for a century. So what are your thoughts? Should these wild horses be left and classified as wild or in biology that's also known as a naturalized species. So in Southern British Columbia, we have pheasants in and around the Creston Valley. They're considered naturalized, even though they're a non-native species. The wild turkeys are naturalized uh, in BC. So what about these horses? What do you think? Do you think they should get protection and be called wild horses? Uh, or should they be and become wildlife? 
or should they be classified as feral and something needs to be done about them? Maybe nothing needs to be done about them if they did some research and said they're not actually competing with native wildlife or uh, causing plant communities to, you know, to disappear or whatever. Or they're not native, they're not native and, you know, that something should be done about it after a hundred year lag time. Uh, you can see how emotions get involved here, right? Uh, it's not a cut and dried, they're not native, get rid of them. Uh, people like them, they're connected to them, they've been there for a century. It just become, The whole thing becomes really, really complicated for somebody to make a decision what to do here. Staying in central British Columbia around the Williams Lake area, a cattle company was recently fined very heavily. The uh, Athler and Schellenberg Cattle Company uh, at Redstone, west of Williams Lake, was caught um, stripping vegetation, soil, and gravel um, on a tributary stream of the Chilcotin River back in 2017. The Chilcotin River is a salmon-bearing river in the Williams Lake area, and it has the Chinook salmon that run up it. Chinook salmon in British Columbia, these runs uh, in, the, in the Chilcotin are becoming very close to becoming endangered. There's the Chilcotin steelhead subpopulation that's only got like a handful of um, uh, fish left in the entire population. So they were fined $455,000 for damaging this uh, tributary of the Chilcotin River, a fish bearing water, salmon bearing waters. So this was the Federal Fisheries Act uh, that was involved here. They were also required to post a $1.2 million bond. The cattle company pled guilty to doing this. So the fine money, the $455,000, gets directed into a federal fund called the Environmental Defense Fund. And that money will then be allocated to proponents that apply for funding to do stream and salmon restoration in the general area of where this occurred. That's that's the EDF, the, Envi the Environmental Defense Fund. I didn't get this specifically from reading the stories about this uh, situation, but the bond, so the bond is posted, I'm assuming that they have been ordered by the federal government to restore the damage that they've done at their own cost to put that stream in the riparian area back to as close as possible as the way it was before. If they don't do it, then the government, the federal government will keep the bond and then they'll use that money to go in and pay people to do the restoration work. Um, crazy situation, unfortunate, but uh, yeah, that's what happens when you screw around with fish bearing waters in this country, the Federal Fisheries Act can can be uh, pretty serious. $450,000 fine is, you know, not a lot under the Federal Fisheries Act. I don't know whether they still have it. There used to be a section in the Federal Fisheries Act that said uh, anybody that damages fish, fish habitat or fish bearing waters could be fined up to a million dollars a day for every day that the infraction actually took place. 
Uh, I don't know if that's been rescinded or not, but uh, big teeth in the Federal Fisheries Act. I don't know that they use the full extent of it all the time. Obviously, in this case, it's just a touch under half a million dollars. I've talked a lot on, diff on different platforms about endangered caribou in Canada. Uh, lots of stories about the endangered caribou in the southern populations in British Columbia and Alberta and the controversial wolf control program that's associated with that. So three stories uh, coming out of Canada on endangered caribou recovery. The first one is in Manitoba. So Manitoba's boreal subpopulation of caribou, the boreal caribou, used to be in the hundreds of thousands of animals. They're now down to just a few thousand animals. Um, so just recently the Man Manitoba government and the federal government announced a three-year agreement to work on conserving and recovering these boreal, boreal caribou in Manitoba. The federal government kicked in a million dollars funding into this, um, this agreement. Now, we've seen agreements before, you know, these big photo ops and, you know, everything, everybody looks great, all the politicians look great because they've signed an agreement and federal governments and provincial governments and there's a bunch of money and then years later it's like caribou population still declining or there's nothing actually happened other than people are just counting caribou decline on the landscape and saying the problem's getting worse. Uh, a lot of times we don't see these these programs really hitting the ground and running and doing great things right off the bat. One of the great success stories, however, uh, being cynical there, one of the great success stories on caribou recovery in a federal provincial agreement was the agreement that British Columbia put in place in the federal government a few years back with the West Moberly and Solto First Nations in northeastern BC that is funding um, the Land Guardian program and is funding the Maternal Penning Project in Northeastern BC. That Maternal Penning Project is completely managed by the First Nations. There's government biologists and independent scientists and stuff involved in it as well. But what they're doing is they're capturing pregnant cows, putting them in a maternal pen, guarding them all winter long to keep the wolves away from them in the pen, feeding them to keep them healthy and then allowing the calves when they're born to be reared in the pen free of predators and then they're kicked out the following summer to hopefully go back and survive um, and replenish the population. Well between wolf control, so you, you, you got to reduce the wolves on the landscape, you can't be spending all this money to nurture calves and then turn them into a predator rich landscape because they just get ate up really quickly. So they have been, they've been reducing wolves doing the maternal penning project, releasing the caribou. So this is the great story, is this is money that's been put in to help fund the First Nations that are running the, the maternal penning project, is 10 years ago, the Clenziza herd, which they're working on, they counted 18 animals left. Then based on population models of potentially animals that would be missed, the model said, if you saw 18, that meant there were 38 on the landscape. So 10 years later, with wolf control and the maternal penning program, there's like 120 animals on the landscape. They've tripled in 10 years. So the program can work. Federal, provincial government funding can work, you know, when something like that is put in place. 
it'll take some time to see what Manitoba is planning to do here, but um, a million bucks is not a lot. Uh, it's a great way to get started. Like maybe that'll get like the first six months of something off the ground on a meaningful caribou recovery program in Manitoba. So we're going to wait and see what happens uh, in Manitoba. Jasper National Park. So it has three small groups of the mountain caribou of the southern caribou population left in the national park. Wolves have been identified as being a significant impact driver on those remaining caribou herds in the national park. The federal government has announced uh, that Parks Canada will go ahead, I think I covered this story last year, with a maternal penning project in the national park to do the same thing, capture pregnant cows, rear them in the safety of a pen, and then release them to, to hopefully to start repopulate, cause a population increase in the caribou. They put $24 million into that maternal penning project. So here's the issue with this project in the national park. Wolves have already been identified as a limiting factor for caribou, the declining caribou herds, the three small herds that are left. They are probably not going to do wolf control in the national park. Uh, that would be the proverbial shit hit the fan with the public if they did that in a national park. But if they don't, I really think they're going to be spending all of this money and bringing cows in, rearing calves, and turning them loose into this predator-rich environment, and they're just going to disappear, you know, within 24, 48 hours of getting out in the landscape. The wolves are going to be, you know, killing them. So one of the things I learned from the scientific research that was done in northern BC on the Klinziza herd is the, the scientists said in a published paper that without wolf control, they ex even with the maternal penning project and the number of successful calves that they were rearing, they figured without wolf control, the population, the females in the population of caribou would have, continued, would have declined at 4% per year, even with a maternal penning program. So females and female calves are incredibly important to regrow the population. As you know, you don't need that many males for ungulates, but you need lots of females, lots of female calves and lots of breeding age cows in order for a population to have the engine to grow. And those breeding cows and those calves need to survive. When they're getting turned loose into a landscape where there's no reduction in predators, the science said they would have continued. The female demographic of the population would have declined at 4% per year, would have meant eventually, even with maternal penning, the caribou would have went extinct in the Klinziza herd. So what they're seeing with wolf control and maternal penning is the population is growing by about 8% per year. In Jasper National Park, their goal is to produce 20 calves per year to bring the herds to sustainable levels within a decade. Now, Without controlling wolves, those 20 cows per year are going to be going out onto a landscape. And what's their mortality rate going to be in Jasper National Park? 50, 60, 80% of those calves are going to, going to die, you know, uh, within months or weeks of being released out of the maternal pens. 
I don't know. Uh, it's probably going to be pretty high. So even if they, that's 200 calves over 10 years is their target. If half of them die, that's only 100 calves. And that's only 10 calves per year. Is that really going to stabilize the population when they're down to such dangerously low numbers? I don't know, maybe. Uh, but what I have seen digging into this topic, uh, if you do not have wolf control coupled with your maternal penning project, you're not going to have a successful program of recovering endangered caribou. The boreal caribou in Ontario are in the news as well. So they're down from hundreds of thousands of caribou to like 5,000 or so that are left in Ontario. The Ontario government just announced it's putting $29 million into caribou recovery. And the federal government, Ontario is criticizing the federal government for not matching those funds. The federal government has not put any money into the Ontario program as of yet. I covered this on, I think, on the last episode where the federal minister of environment was criticizing Ontario's caribou recovery program because they still got logging and mining and stuff going on and was threatening to, in, to implement an emergency order. So I, there's obviously some tensions between Ontario government and the federal government, and that's playing out by not matching Ontario's funds with the federal funds. There may be conditions attached, like you got to set some areas aside, you got to stop logging, uh, like whatever it happens to be. But the federal government hasn't come to the table matching Ontario's $29 million for caribou recovery. I don't know exactly what Ontario is planning to do in their recovery program. Uh, I haven't seen anything on maternal penning projects or, you know, wolf management. I'm not sure if wolves are an issue in Northern Ontario for the, uh, for the endangered caribou. But anyways, here's the rub on all this stuff with the caribou. So the federal government is giving the province of Manitoba a million dollars for its caribou recovery program. The federal government is spending $24 million to build a maternal pen in Jasper National Park to get their caribou recovery program started. Zero dollars federal dollars in Ontario. So $25 million is being put into Manitoba and Jasper National Park, Alberta for caribou recovery of an endangered species. They're estimating folks in Canada are estimating that the federal government's gun buyback program for the guns deemed prohibited under C-71 three years ago, these scary looking military style assault weapons, um, they're estimating that buyback program is going to be over a billion dollars now. So the federal government is going to spend a billion or more dollars to take back guns from Canadian citizens legally held virtually all or none of those guns are used in violent crimes in Canada. Most of them are committed with illegally held 
guns, most of which are handguns. Uh, the government is not planning to buy back handguns, just these, these uh, scary-looking military assault-style weapons. A billion dollars. A billion dollars of taxpayers' money to buy back guns over this political, emotional um, debate over whether legally held firearms are a risk to public safety or not. Here we have an iconic species, the caribou, in Canada that was in the hundreds of millions, you know, from, from shore to shore in this country, you know, even a century ago. They're not even coming close to spending that much money on caribou recovery. Uh, it's crazy. It's uh, absolutely mindless in my point of view. Uh, I always tend to see the world through the lens of wildlife and wildlife habitat. Of course, that's me. And, but I just see, you know, taxpayers' money is not an endless pocket. You know, like at some point we're going to be bled dry with all, the, all this money that seems to get handed out a lot. If I'm going to be bled dry with tax money... I want it to go into fixing wildlife. I want it to go into protecting the environment. I want it to go back into restoring the productivity of the land, not on emotional campaigns of buying back flat black colored firearms that are legally held by Canadian citizens. If you feel the same way, uh, if you don't, let me know and let me know why. If you think you're better off to spend money buying, uh, taking guns back and not on caribou recovery, um, let me know why. Um, but... I'm, I'm always, you know, open to different ideas. But if this bothers you, let your MP know and say, go to Ottawa and tell the government your constituents don't like the idea of spending a billion dollars to buy guns back and only $25 million in Manitoba and Alberta to restore an endangered species. There you go. That's what you can do. All right, everybody, you're up to date on what's going on around Canada. And I'll see you in the next episode.